Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back. This is Engineers, as you know. Uh, we're back live with Neil Johnson, and Neil Johnson's VP of Engineering at a company called Element. And he's going to be talking to us today about uh, Matrix, the open source messaging platform, and also a little bit more about decentralized architecture and a couple of things on security and encryption. Uh, he's super pumped for this, so am I. So <laughs> stay tuned uh, for the next 45 minutes or so, and we're going to explore this a little bit more. So, Neil, do you want to give us some insight um, for the audience into yourself, Element, maybe what that VP of engineering role looks like, and we can start touching on that relationship with Matrix. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for the intro. Um, pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, so I, I work at Element, um, and uh, Element is a company that is sort of intrinsically tied uh, with something called the, the Matrix Protocol, which is a secure, decentralized, open standard for um, real-time communication. Okay. Um, so um, my job at Element is, uh, and I, I guess it's it's a pretty standard um, engineering management role. Uh, I joined the company about three years ago. Uh, there was 10 of us at that point, uh, mainly in engineering. Uh, and my job was to really figure out how we grow that engineering team. Um, we're up to about 40 engineers now. Um, and just go through all the growing pains that startups always always have. Like, how do you how do you make sure that you're working on the right staff? How do you keep everyone aligned? How do you make sure that the right channels of communication are there? How do you figure out who, who to bring into the business? Um, you make decisions differently when there's 40 of you versus when there's 10 of you. Yeah. You know all that all, all that kind of um, standard stuff, really. Okay. Uh, so that so that's 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 the role where I spend most of my time. Okay. And and what vision did you buy into a, a couple of years back? You know how how was that projected onto you as to this is what we want to go and do, being open source and decentralized. Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew the project for a long time, and because it's an open source project, I already had a very good idea of you know what they were trying to do. I was running that software myself and sort of playing with it. I okay. knew many of the core team and had worked with a few of them in the past as well. Um, so I, I was very familiar uh, with the project, and they were Element as a company were. It was at a time where I thought my skills could actually be quite useful to them. Yeah. Um, up until that point, I'd be more a kind of cheerleader from the side. Uh, so um, it was a it was a pretty it was a pretty easy sell, um, you know, on that on on that front. Uh, and then you know the reason that I was actually interested in this project um, is um, it's extremely ambitious, um, and we were talking about an open standard for um, communication here. So. Yeah. You know, if you most people on their on their phones right now, maybe they have five, six different messaging apps, and they talk to some friends on WhatsApp and some friends on, or maybe their colleagues on Slack, or maybe they use Telegram or Signal or SMS, maybe for uh, family members. I mean, who knows? Like, you're, you're going to have a lot, a lot of things. And um, the reason that you know these messengers don't really interoperate is there's no there's no open standard for them to do so and and also there there's an incentives issue as well like if you're whatsapp you you want to have your closed walled garden i mean it's, yeah. it's it's kind of important for what they're doing um and you might say okay well fine i've got five messaging apps on my phone um that's annoying but it's hardly the end of the world isn't you know, it's a bit of a first world problem isn't it but um <laughs> when you think about it a little more deeply if i if whatsapp were to do something that i didn't like you know, if they were to say, well, we're end-to-end -end encrypted, but we're sort of not going to do that anymore, or we'd like to start advertising to you based on your metadata, or, you know, whatever it would be. And I said, okay, I, I don't like that. I want to leave. Um, I can't do that without leaving behind my social graph. Uh, okay. I, I cannot talk to my WhatsApp friends without using WhatsApp. Yeah. And, um, and, and this is a problem then, because as a user, um, you're stuck. You, you don't have choice in, in the way that you probably should. If you compare that with something like email, where, um, okay, it's annoying to leave your email provider, but you can, and you can still send emails to whoever you want um, uh, in the world just from your new email address, um, that, that's much closer to how I think the world ought to be and how technology ought to yeah. be. Um, so that part was incredibly important to me. Um, I think doing it in a way that is, firstly, is an open standard, 
Yeah. Um, doing it in a way that is decentralized is, is, is very interesting. And maybe we can touch on that um, um, a little bit later. Yeah. And doing it in a way that's end-to-end encrypted. You know, it's, it, it's part of the UN's um, sort of bill of human rights that people have the right to privacy. Um, and end-to-end encryption is part of that. And trying to do that so it works cross-client um, is, is a hard problem to do, particularly in a decentralized um, setup. So they had some really big engineering challenges. Um, and it, it, was, it was a very exciting uh, um, um, project. And so all that combined, um, um, joined, joined the gang properly sort of th- about, about three years ago. Okay. So who are you guys working with at the moment? So the thing that really surprised us in the the early days of Matrix, we we didn't we didn't anticipate that a very very good use case for what we do are um, governmental or large civic institutions, uh, and the reasons for this are sort of there's a number of different things but one of the things is if you are a very very large organization and you have a lot of structure within yourself then um maybe you want your your various different sub parts of your organization maybe they want to run their own systems they need to talk to each other somehow but you know they have their own security people their own it people and so the ministry of this and the ministry of that need to talk to each other but they 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 want to be a little bit separate as well Um, so that part works really well. Yeah. The fact that you can um, run this yourself or in within your own um, um, network is extremely important. So okay. if you think today, um, it is uh, very common for our most senior politicians and civil servants to talk to each other via WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, and they do this and it's end-to-end encrypted, so that's good. But that metadata, just knowing who is talking to who and when they're doing it, that in itself is really, really uh, sensitive information. And that is leaving your network. It's going to another country and you have no idea what's happening at the the other end of that. And that's actually quite serious um, um, when you think about it from those sorts of conversations. Sorry, excuse me. So um, being able to have ownership of your own data, having this um, federated setup, yeah. uh, and also the encryption as well, because they're you know, they're still talking about sensitive things, and they um, and they need that. So we're, we're working a lot with uh, with governments right now. Yeah. Um, those in the public eye are, um, I mean, France has a extremely good uh, open government initiative, and okay. we are sort of in production in every one of their uh, their ministries right now. Wow. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 been, it's been great to sort of uh, uh, work with them and figure out how to um, you know deploy this deploy all this technology within yeah. within their infrastructure. Uh, and then more recently, uh, working uh, a lot in Germany um, okay. and um, pretty one particularly interesting project is helping um, German education works on a sort of regional basis and just working with individual regions in Germany to provide uh, remote learning tools because. Okay. Um, particularly in Germany, data privacy and data sovereignty are very, very important. They don't want to use um, you know, something like Teams. Yeah. Um, and so our, our technology is a really, really good uh, match for that. So we're working very hard right now to make sure that um, schools in Germany have, have good uh, remote learning um, technology. So we've got that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then at the other end, um, the you know, our, our sort of roots and where we came from were things like IRC and you okay. know, a lot of the open source world um, sort of formed around around that, that, that sort of technology. And so a lot of those sorts of communities um, looking, casting around for a slightly more sort of modern take on um, the same sort of problem. Yeah. Uh, and so we, um, last year, uh, Mozilla chose uh, Matrix and Element as the technology for backing all of their open source communities. Wow. Um, That's big. Which was really, yeah, which is really great. And, um, you know, we've, uh, and you know, they were using uh, IRC before, uh, the uh, MozNet network. Um, and so, you know, based on who we are, this is, it's, it's not just, oh, that's a big name. Like we really don't want to mess that one up, you know, um, and, and we, we take enormous um, pride in uh, being able to provide that sort of technology for a force that we just think is extraordinarily good. Yeah. So, um, good. so it's a real mix of the sort of people that we work with. And actually, sorry, one, one final um, yeah. case that uh, I think is quite interesting is 
because uh, our network is very resilient because it's decentralized, there's no central point of control. Yeah. Um, we're actually used in um, disaster recovery situations. Okay. Nice. So, you know, you have a bunch of communication nodes and maybe there's uh, extreme weather conditions going on such that one of those nodes might just lose power at any moment. Yeah. And you've got to be resilient to that. When that happens, the technology has to be as fine as it possibly can be. And when that person comes back online, then they, then they integrate seamlessly. Um, and so that's also a really great use of this um, uh, technology. Wow, that's pretty diverse. That, that's yeah, pretty diverse. isn't it? <laughs> okay, um, where's where's the vision now? Where, where do you go from Mozilla to French and German governments? What what could be the plan? Let's not say let's take on WhatsApp. It's a very different take to that. But what's the plan? Is it just continuing to consolidate where you are already? Or is it grow, diversify into different areas? So the idea behind something like Matrix is to really be the kind of part of the fabric of the internet, which sounds like a very grandiose thing to say, but we feel like there's not a good way to do uh, real-time information sharing that is standard. Uh, it, and so instant messaging is a really great use case for this. And what we would like to be is a way that, you know, any protocol can interoperate and yeah. sort of, you know, it is possible using our technology today to have some one person on WhatsApp and someone on, I don't know, Discord, and they can have a conversation. You can, you can make that work and you can make that happen. Yeah. Um, but what we really want to do is we look at something like email. We look at the impact that's had had on the world over the last 50 years yeah. um and you know it's got its detractors too but it's it's clearly it's clearly been uh, um it's a mainstay right right, right. and we, we sort of want to have the same kind of impact in the next 50 years so um you know that that's the level of sort of ambition that we have and what we're what we're really trying to do with this we want to we think that um having an open stand for communication is kind of essential um and in the short term, we're just going to build out things that we think give people value right now. We want to grow that ecosystem. We'd like it to be much like with email. You know, we want as many people on the public um, public network as possible. Yeah. Such that um, you know that when you want to when you want to reach someone and find someone, then you just have a natural assumption that they that they are on Matrix and you can reach them somehow. Okay. You you touched on quite an interesting point. Um, I'm keen to explore the interoperability a little bit more. That that seems quite tough, um, depending on different systems, different technology. And offline, we've spoken a little bit about end-to-end encryption and how that's really tough. Right. How do you make that happen? How do you make that happen? That's a broad question. I get that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's... It is it is a it is a challenge because what you're trying to do is ram together two protocols that were not designed um, to work together, and you end up with the basically the lowest common denominator between those two those two things. Okay. Um, so it's it, it's never the perfect experience, but often you can you can really get a, a long way a long way down that okay. that path. Um, we've got a very uh, mature Slack bridge. Um, we of course have a um, a good uh, IRC bridge that was our sort of first um, first bridge um, and you know you just take a look at the protocol and you figure out a way to um, get the best experience on both sides uh, and we've got to the point now where we think sometimes people don't realize they're talking to people in other other protocols I mean that that's really that's really when you know when you know you've done that's it uh, done, yeah done it right end-to-end encryption obviously really really difficult um, okay. because you know, right now there isn't an open standard for that, yeah. uh, for end-to-end encryption. And um, there is a, a really great project called um, uh, MLS that we're uh, uh, that we're sort of contributing to, yeah. um, to to achieve that. And um, we think that's a really powerful thing, but it's not here yet. Yeah. So um, that that's a really hard part for for bridging. This might seem uh, this might seem dim. Sorry to interrupt there, but how, how do you pass an open standard, or how do you create an open standard? I mean, initially, um, you, you you sort of 
write your protocol, write some reference implementations and say, here you go, world. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. Uh, and the world can either say, um, ah, this is interesting. I'll, I'll try and use this. Or it can say, thanks, thanks. I'm moving on now. Yeah. Um, where we're at on that, and then you know, much further down the line, you know, there are all sorts of standards bodies that um, can help um, can help you um, solidify all of this. Yeah. Where we're at right now is um, we have a foundation, the Matrix.org Foundation, that um, it has element people as part of its directorship or guardians, as we call them, but it's not a majority uh, element. So, um, and the purpose of that of that group is to basically just guide this standard and make sure that it's um, staying true to its to its mission and its and its goals. Um, further down the line, uh, we might look for um, slightly more formal um, standardization and um, IETF is an example of standards body that we could that we could talk to. Um, but right now that's that that's sort of that's sort of where we're at. Yeah. And and handling people's data at the moment uh, and you're talking about uh, metadata that gets passed across channels and who people are talking to uh, how do you protect everyone that that's talking on matrix yeah that's a uh, uh, that's a big question okay. um, and, and, and you know, obviously for the nature of our business an extremely important one and um fortunately people way more knowledgeable on the subject than me have spent a lot of time helping us figure out well how do we how do we do this just anyway as an organization that really cares about this topic? But then how do you think about um, you know, federation in a GDPR world? Yeah. Uh, because you are sharing data between two entities and you might not have a commercial relationship between those two entities. So it, it's, it's, it's actually quite a, um, an interesting part of um, uh, GDPR law, okay. I guess. So um, on, on the data side, um, yeah, like we... Uh, we provide all the tools that you would need as an administrator on your on your server to make sure that you can be compliant and that people you know who want to exercise their right to erasure can do so. And um, I think we're actually going to uh, make a few changes to the protocol over time as well to make that a little bit easier too. Yeah. Um, but uh, a lot of this is sort of uncharted territory as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the sort of closest analog is uh, is email. Um, and so we take a lot of inspiration from how the same uh, situation applies there. Um, and uh, yeah, we're still we're still working through on it. Uh, we think we think we're in a good spot, um, okay. but we're regularly talking with um, so in the UK, the ICO, and just trying to make sure that we think we're we think we're doing the right things. We think we're in the spirit, and um, just make sure that we actually are. We have a, a very uh, privacy focused community, um, yeah. and you know. Th- if we were to let up in this area, they would they would let us know extremely quickly. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the joys of being open source and building a community around that because you'll know when you're doing well and you'll know when you're doing bad, right? And it, it's yeah. about being honest and and taking some introspection and thinking, okay, are we actually doing the right things for people? And continually looking back at that and thinking. Does this work? Does this work? Does this work? Oh yeah, I mean, um, when your primary professional output is in the open uh, and anyone on the internet can comment on what you're doing, yeah. I mean that that is, it's it's electric. You know, like it it forces you to you bring your A game at all times. Yeah, it's um, awesome. You're, you're going to get that feedback, um, but it's also yeah very gratifying. Um, because it's the best way to improve. It's the best way to know that you're you're doing the right things. Um, and we get just fantastic um, feedback from our community. I mean, um, Matrix would be nothing without the community. Yeah. And um, so to work out in the open is, is, is the best way to do it. And, and what, what do people actually contribute? Can, can we understand that a little bit more? Like how impactful are some of those contributions? And why is the community so important? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it varies. You know, p- people uh, maybe someone is you know using Element on their phone or on the web, and they would like an extra 
knob to twiddle or they or they spot a bug and it annoys them and they're so i mean they're sufficient they're skilled in a way that they can actually fix this and yep. they can um um send us a pr and we can say great and we can merge it and it's there and they've they fixed the thing yeah um i mean all of our projects would sort of have that culture and you, you know you try and um, you try and help people through that uh sometimes people want to stick around a bit more seriously and um and a long long-term members of the community and want to take on slightly more um sort of challenging um challenging parts of the code base and that's obviously phenomenal um but also contributing to the spec itself and the standard itself nice. um that really really does need um all sorts of different uh perspectives um yep. you know on on you know all the different use cases that it's very hard as we were saying at the beginning to really anticipate all the use cases for this kind of stuff so having a broad range of voices on what might be important is um is really really valuable um so people get involved from all sorts of uh, all sorts of different directions um and sometimes it's it's simply that they just you know they they really enjoy this tool and they just want to make it a bit better somehow sometimes they're coming at it more from a okay what what would i want I really love this idea of an open standard for communication, but what would I really want to see from it? Oh, I can get involved. I can get involved here. So yeah, it's a really big range. Um, nice. I mean, from our point of view, you know, we work hard to try and make sure that the community is welcoming and it's inclusive, and um, and people can get involved. And it's it's um, and it's you know, so I think sometimes it can be very intimidating to start off in an open source project. Yeah. Uh, so we try. We've been trying very hard, I think, particularly over the last couple of years, to um, to make it a little bit easier. I think there's more we could do, and we and we will do. Yeah. Um, and then also, there's a sort of, you know, over the summer we have schemes like um, Google Summer of Code, where okay. um, folks folks contribute directly via via that scheme or something like Outreachy, um, which is a, a really great initiative to help people who might not normally think, see themselves as open source developers get yeah. involved with. Um, um, our sort of projects okay uh, and in terms of matrix matrix itself can you talk to us a little bit about how the platform's actually made up in terms of technologies or architecturally and just help us understand that a little bit more yeah sure um, i mean one of the nice things is because it's a standard there are multiple implementations of okay. the same blocks of, of technology yeah so uh, if we start on the server, um, we have uh, we have a system called Synapse, yep. um, which is Python based. And the story of Synapse is basically the story of almost any um, any new project or any startup project where we built out this thing uh, just to prove does this protocol kind of work. We put it out into the wild to see if anyone would like to use it. Turned out they really did. Oh, gee, we're in production with our prototype. Um, let's do something about that. And yep. then so very very gradually over time, we've been trying to um work on that technology make it more scalable make it more reliable all, all, all the things that you would want to do yeah um but you know this is core messaging infrastructure and if yeah. you were to start from scratch on a project like that you might choose a language that was um more commonly associated with associated with systems programming and um so there is uh a second generation server called Dendrite, which we've written in Go. Okay. Um, which really, I mean, its initial um, sort of design goals were to operate at a, a very large scale. So yep. you have you know, a bajillion users being supported by this wonderful sort of horizontally scalable um, uh, setup. And, and that, that, that sort of legacy is, is there within, within its code base. Yep. We've actually um, used that same technology, though, to power our P2P um initiative so okay. you actually run this thing on sort of you know hundreds of machines in a in a data center somewhere where you could yeah and at the same time you run that same code just on a on a, on a phone which is kind of kind of extraordinary yeah um but then there are other uh, implementations I and mean, probably my favorite in the community right now is a, is a rust implementation nice um and they're they're really focusing on um, performance and just making everything feel really really snappy and just sort of showing what's possible um and so it's really great to see to see that uh, coming to the fore as well. Yeah, well, I've I've seen that a couple of times on the podcast, um, and most of the platforms that we talk about are about some building something real time. They're using Rust at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. We've had that in a couple of instances: Hadian, True Layer, yourselves, or there's elements of that. Excuse the pun. Um, right. But that's what we're seeing, which is quite interesting. 
Um, yeah, and, and by the way, I should say the, the Rust implementation is actually completely community derived. So el there are no uh, element people directly working on it uh, at all. Um, and we like to try and support them, but I, I want to give credit where credit's due. A whole um, load of Rustations. Right, right, and they're um, and and they're, they're doing a super job. So um, we want to we want to give them a shout out and support them. Uh, the project's called Conduit, um, and but it's nothing to do with the um, uh, the element team uh, directly. That's so it's awesome. really exciting to see that. That, that's really awesome. You're particularly keen to talk about um, some of the team and you're massively complimentary around the open source community, but yourselves at Element um, have obviously built a cracking team uh, that helps build Matrix, etc. So uh, I'm keen to understand a little bit more about your team building that from 2018. So do you want to give the audience a little bit more insight into 2018 onwards, building sure. a remote team in times like this? How efficient can you be? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what was kind of interesting um, at that point in 2018, we were kind of, the team had been, that was there had been working together for quite some time. Matrix originally came out of, uh, it was more a sort of R&D project as part of a much larger organization. Uh, and we, we spun that out uh, to be independent. Um, and so the team had, had worked with each other, co-located with one another by and large. Um, and that was our sort of nucleus. Yeah. What we, what we found, um, particularly back then, um, was that people, some people really understand the mission and get very, very excited about what I've sort of been talking about yeah. today. And they're like, oh my God, that's exactly what I wish existed. I, I just, w I, I have to come work on this. <laughs> and that's, that's brilliant, right? I mean, um, who, 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 who wouldn't want that? The, the reality though of that is those people wouldn't necessarily be based anywhere near um, where, where we were based, which was, which was in London. Yeah. Uh, and they're based all over the world. Yeah. Um, Relatedly, um, often the route through were uh, people who joined our open source community were contributing and doing a super job, and we we thought, well, actually, why don't why don't you just do this all the time, and and and, and you know we can uh, you, you can you can join the team as well. So we found it very very valuable to be flexible on where people would work from. Okay, um, and you know that that brought with it its own challenges you know all the classic stuff that anyone trying to manage remote and i think everyone in the world right now is sort of learning about how you have to be much much more explicit with your communication everything has to be yeah. um really really conscious and 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 you have to get a lot better at, at writing stuff down yeah um and you know um making sure if you're going to have a meeting let's make sure it's got minutes to it so if someone can't go then they can just read what happens or maybe they don't have to go now because because it's all there yeah i mean we had a few things that made it a lot easier for us which um are around you know, because if you're hiring someone that you've already worked with via the medium of an open source project you already know you can work with them asynchronously and you know that um you know, you've de-risked all the normal sort of things that you might have to do through an interview process because you you sort of you sort of know them by that point yeah um also our product is a is a communication tool um so you know if we can't if we can't make this work uh remotely uh, as a as a business then yeah. um you know what 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 chances everybody else have so we didn't just sort of dive right into this and go okay we're like we're we're sort of remote remote first company but we sort of gradually um built up our expertise and our knowledge of how to um of how to do this yeah what i think it's really meant has been you know when we're hiring it's not just oh is this person um um a, you know prolific engineer in terms of the the functionality they're going to put out yeah. it's also can this person communicate well in written form that's that's kind of that's kind of okay. really important for us um and um, you know, are we actually going? Is this, is this actually going to work remote? Because that's a slightly different set of skills. That's uh, so we've so we've built out the team that way. Um, we don't we we hire partly from our community. We also like to try and consciously hire from outside our community. Yeah, nice. Um, um, just to bring in a, a whole bunch of extra uh, ideas uh, to the mix. Um, a lot of the team though do come from have some sort of open source background somewhere. Um, again, I think it's because it's very mission orientated as a, yep. as a company, 
um, it tends to attract that that, um, that 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 kind of profile. Okay, um, and that's it, really. That that's sort of how how we approached it. P- picking up on that, that's seriously interesting because I don't I don't think have anyone that I've spoken to has had any level of forward thinking about thinking if someone is remote ready for their team everyone thinks that or that i've spoken to thinks that yeah everyone can just slot right in you can just go into remote as long as you've got everything set up but it comes from this mindset of being online first as as in yourselves which i quite like um (laughs) being able to communicate effectively uh, over a written format verbally that that's something that as we speak about it i find really really interesting and i'm hoping anyone that listens can try and adopt that because yes our world has changed and i think a lot of people are speaking from some of the same hymn sheets when they say there is a commuter belt into london we don't necessarily need to compete with that anymore. Let's look at different talent pools. That's smart, but everyone's got the same idea. People don't have the solutions yet. That will come, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, a company that um, is really interesting on this are uh, Automatic, who uh, basically back WordPress. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of parallels, actually, between their business um um, and, and ours, and in fact, I should probably say they're an investor in uh, in Element. But as I understand their uh, interview process, almost all of it is done asynchronously. So um, I don't even know if they. I, I, I've heard it described that they don't even wouldn't even have a video call necessarily as part of that interview process. Everything everything is written, um, which I'm just sort of scratching the surface of. But that's I haven't heard anybody doing that uh, before, and th- I think the rationale is. Um, uh, exactly this, right? You're going to be communicating asynchronously and in written form, um, so that needs to form part of the interview process, and that's how they will assess that that part of their skill set. Wow, that's quite interesting. If if there are engineers listening to this podcast, um, and and we've hit, I've said it a couple of times, we've hit thousand subscribers, which is great. It's great for us. Ninety uh, percent of those are software engineers, so this will resonate with a lot of people listening and we're in distributed locations now from looking at some of our data. Sorry, back to my point. Um, Talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges, more challenges if you like, or engineering challenges that you face with Matrix and how that might fit an engineer potentially listening to this, thinking about applying. Uh, do you mean uh, technical challenges or um, more the, the sort of social challenges? Of Sorry, excuse remote? me. I, I should have been a little bit more clear. Uh, technical challenges. Going back to some of those technical oh, right. challenges, um, what what do you face? Can we can we deep dive sure. that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so 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 one of the things um, the um, What's interesting for us is the the original core team originally, before Matrix existed, they were working within this large telecoms company, and we were building out um, proprietary communication apps for telecoms companies. Yeah. So it was like a sort of, you know, you sign up to whatever telco, and you've got SMS, but you've also got your own sort of messenger, and they wanted that, and it was like MMS, SMS. Uh, yeah, but this this would have been kind of like, you know, my my telco messenger that right. might have included SMS within it, okay. and but it also would be doing um, sort of just pure messaging, um, like IP messaging okay. on, 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 on that same network. Yeah. And we were building out this and we got very, very good at it and we we're building it and doing it and building it and doing it. And then after, you know, five or six of these big projects, so the whole team were just like, hang on, this is, this is, this is a real shame because... Um, these people can't actually talk to each other. It's all, it's, all, it's all closed. Wouldn't it be better if they all implemented the same standard and then they could all talk to each other? Uh, and we said, yeah, that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, and and, and that, that was the sort of the core of where Matrix came from. But what it means is we've got a very good idea of how hard and how long it takes to build a really highly scalable uh, messaging service in a centralized way, in a 
in a closed platform um, and and we know how long that takes. If you try and take, so then you take that exact team who are already well-practiced at doing this playbook and you say to them, right, we're going to do it differently this time. Um, we're going to do this in a decentralized way. So yeah. you cannot rely on any central point of coordination or orchestration. Okay. Um, we're going to do it out in the open as an open standard. So any change you want to make to an API, you're going to have to take it through um, you know, a, a process. You can't just sort of change it on a whim. Yeah. Um, you're going to consult on everything that you do. Um, so do everything that you know, but do it in a decentralized way as part of an open standard. Um, how much harder could that really be? Yeah. Now, empirically, um, we have found that it probably takes about six times as long to do the things that you would that you would do. Um, you know, just based on based on based on what, what we've found. Yeah. Now, the benefits of that we hope are enormous because suddenly you have this open standard, and this means that um, everything should be that much more durable. Yeah. So, for instance, um, I don't know. My, for me. I have a whole bunch of messages in MySpace okay. and I am never getting those back. Yeah. Um, but if I, but I also sent emails um, back during that same kind of, kind of area yeah. and I can still read those emails. No problem. Yeah. We have built an open standard. So the same should be possible. If, if element falls by the wayside, then hopefully there'll be some other client in the future. Um, that's even better and they can still read that. So there's a huge benefit to doing it in this open um, as a standardized way um, but you have to it costs more and you have to invest more um, similarly if you are um, trying to build out end-to-end -end encryption and you want it to uh, run on your web browser as it does on your phone as it does on your other phone and you know so you know with whatsapp everything's kind of tied to your phone you can do whatsapp for web but it's basically going through your phone if you want to do this multi-client in a decentralized architecture where you cannot guarantee that the other person's server will even be available. Yeah. Um, so all the sort of key negotiation is not possible because they're not even there. Yeah. Um, but you need a robust um, uh, encryption um, uh, scheme. How are you going to do that? That's a hard problem to, okay. to solve. So on the back end, um, there's, some, there's some, some really sort of gnarly, gnarly questions there. Um, the other the other part of it it's decentralized so um you know if there was a conversation and you had your server i had my server someone else has got their server and we're all talking in the same room together that conversation exists equally across those three yeah uh, now no one gets to choose truth independently okay. uh, or rather um the, the the protocol means that each of those servers have to eventually agree and on the consensus of what has just happened. So yeah. I said something, then you said something, then someone else says something. Eventually, um, all three of those servers independently have to agree what, what just happened. Um, and that's hard. Okay. Um, you know, if you were doing it in a centralized service, you just have a database and each of the clients just go to the database and say, oh, right, well, these three messages were sent. Yeah. Um, in a decentralized world, you, you, you really don't have that. So we've got some very interesting challenges around um, um, consensus, some very interesting challenges around end-to-end -end encryption. And, and then on the other end of this, um, all of this sort of sort of very interesting technical stuff going on in the background, yeah. most users, they just want to send a message. Yeah. Um, and you've got to find the UX paradigms to help them understand what's going on, yeah. help them understand how the end-to-end -end encryption is working for them, not get in the way, but also make sure they know what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, and make this, you know, as smooth and as seamless as people are used to using regular consumer messaging apps. So all these things combined um, are, are very, very challenging um, and force you to, uh, to, you know, really evaluate whole bunch of stuff from first principles and it's it's back-end engineering it's um it's client engineering it's ux yeah all these things combined um make for a you know a very a very busy day um, and uh really uh um really exciting challenges because if you pull it off then um you know we believe the um the advantages are worth it like the investment is worth it but the challenge of pulling it off is um substantial for sure okay um and style of engineer uh, 
don't get me wrong, I've 1,000% I've listened to what you've just said. Um, in terms of style of engineer, what backgrounds, if people are listening to this, um, mm. might they come from, do you think? You obviously make the connection to being mission orientated. People have come from open source backgrounds, gray, longevity, um, but any particular environments that you see work out quite well because they're quite transferable? Um, I think I think the most important thing for us mm-hmm. is, is 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 that mission angle. Fine. Uh, if people are really excited about that, we actually don't really care good too much else about them. Um, they they don't have to come from an open source background. Um, um, sometimes, sometimes it helps because that is part of how we work. But it's uh, that's definitely not a requirement. But what we what we really want to see is that people get the mission and they're really excited about that. It's a first class citizen through our hiring process, and um, if people have that, then that that gets them a long a long way through. Um, and you know, we find that that's just obviously very helpful because you arrive and you 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 know, you're, you're just really energized and engaged with the problem space um, um, in front of you. Nice. I mean, the sorts of things that will help generally are, um, I mean, we're a startup and we're trying to do something that yep. hasn't really been done before. So yep. you're going to have to be adaptable. You're going to have to be resilient. Um, you're going to have to be curious. I mean, um, we we're, it's a very sort of innovative culture. It has to be. Um, and that means quite a lot of ambiguity as well, because yeah. um, we're still figuring it all out, and um, we need people that sort of really kind of kind of embrace embrace that. In terms of sort of um, technical backgrounds, you know, we're we're, we're less we're less stringent on that. Okay. Really, um, we think so. You know, if you think of the the challenges I just called out a moment ago, you know, consensus say the hard part is the consensus part the yeah. implementation is also challenging but um it's the consensus part that's the real the, the, the real hard part so if you're coming yeah. from a go background or a rust background or a python background like we don't mind so right. much about that um i mean we obviously want a good mix of skills yeah. on the team like you know if you're working on a python project you need a few real python experts on the team but it's not um it's not the sort of essential essential piece. gotcha the other thing i would say is um what we have found you know, at any given moment, we'll have a bunch of roles open and we're hiring. But um, a lot of the time, people come to us who have really thought deeply about our problem space. Yeah. They're, they're not actually a good fit for any of the roles that we have open. But what they have to say is very interesting to us. And we talk with them and we think, we'd love to get you in the organization somehow. And we do a lot of our hiring that way as well, where people okay. just reach out to us and come up with an That's idea. Smart. Um, and it, and, it, and it's it's actually a very, very gratifying way to, um, to do things. And... Um, you know, we've created a whole bunch of roles, um, you know, just based off the back of that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a dummy. This is not to side skip what you've just said, by the way, but I'm a dummy. I, I haven't talked about uh, your Gitter integration. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is huge news. This is huge news. This is TechCrunch featured. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Can you talk to us about that? Can you talk to us about what that means for yourselves as well? And listen, we we understand the passion for being open source. It's community driven. I love that. Talk to us a little bit about what that Gitter integration means for you guys. Yeah, it's it's kind of multifaceted because um, I mean we we've always loved the Gitter project. Uh, they were actually uh, opposite the uh, Matrix stand when when we did our first sort of splash right yeah. 2014 they were like the other side you know just right opposite us and uh yeah um in fact i think uh amandine our uh, co-founder still has a t-shirt that she picked up from there um which she's been wearing proudly around the office oh. uh, uh recently so so we, we've always loved the gitter project um and um so gitter was um acquired by git lab who uh who open sourced it um and and you know for those that don't know it, it's basically a a chat application that's really well set up to support um, developer communities. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's sort of uh, um, there's part of us that just just really appreciates the fact that Gitter is there and and and, and it exists. Um, so, um, from GitLab's point of view, like it's uh, I think chat is kind of very important for what they're trying to do, but it's not 
it's not kind of core. Um, yeah. Well, they don't want it to be their their core problem to solve. It's a hard problem to solve, and yeah. goodness, don't we know it? Um, but they they wanted to find a good home for 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 Gitter, and they're yeah. a, the sort of organization that would want to spend time finding a place where it would be well looked after. And um, when we knew that, when we heard that they were on the on the hunt for this um, home for Gitter, we were tremendously excited about it and um, wanted to uh, wanted to get involved. So there's that side of this, um, but the other side of it is um, because the way that metrics operates, because we're about interoperability. Yeah. Um, what we're gonna what we're gonna do, and we're gonna do all of this very much out into the open. So um, we've done a bunch of our design sessions on um, uh, with videos that we've published, and we've blogged about exactly what we're gonna do, and we will keep doing that. Um, we've, we're gonna first work on the bridge. Actually, okay. Gitter was our, our second ever bridge, um, okay. but the implementation was, I'll say it's okay. Um, we're going to do a, a really, really, really great bridge uh, okay. across. Uh, at the same time, we're going to take a look at a couple of the features that um, the Gitter client has that Element does not. Okay. Um, threading is uh, probably the most most obvious example. Yeah, Implement those into, into Element. So then you have a situation where uh, Gitter users can continue to use Gitter just as they do today, but they'll start talking to matrix matrix users as well, seamlessly yeah. over that over that bridge. Um, over time, hopefully the element client will also um, produce a really good experience for Gitter users. And so maybe people will start using element to um, to reach their, their Gitter communities. Um, and we're just going to gradually try and make this as, as good as experience as possible and demonstrate to the rest of the world this is how you can integrate a um, another chat protocol into yeah. into the matrix um, uh, ecosystem. Nice. Uh, so it's really exciting. And then on the other side of it, just from people that are interested to see the warts and all side of this kind of project, we're going to do it all in the open. Um, we're going to blog every step of the way. Um, so if you ever wondered how that actually works, um, then then you can um, you can just go ahead and and, and do it. The uh, um, I'll just share as an aside, we, um, as, as Matrix, we put out a weekly video of okay. cool stuff that's been going on. We'll interview someone in the community or we'll talk about yep. a project that we're working on. And we were going to do this with Gitter. Uh, and okay. um, it had been a really, really, really busy week. And um, while the, the slot was there booked, um, the team hadn't even had a chance to catch up properly with what they were going to do architecturally next steps, and so instead of having the sort of intro to, to Eric, who's the um, uh, who's, who's joined us as, as, as part of this shift, uh, we were, I think initially we were just going to have him, you know, come and uh, um, just talk a little bit about Gitter. We actually just had the first architectural design meeting and recorded it, and, On that, video. and that, that was that, that was our weekly thing. So if you want to know what our architectural design meetings look like at Element, then uh, um, take a look cool. at the Matrix.org. Um, uh, um, YouTube channel, uh, it's there. I think we have it on YouTube as well. We'll and, have that um, in the links below. Everyone, brilliant, we'll brilliant. stick that in. That would be fantastic. It's um, poor and poor old Eric. It was it was a great sport, um, but we, yeah, he he found he found out on recall that that's basically what we were going to do. Bless Eric, go with the flow. I like that. Yeah. Um, as I am a numpty, and I obviously did miss that really really key piece. Uh, before we wrap up, is is there anything else that you would quite like to share with us and the audience about element matrix that we haven't touched on? Um, I mean, I think, I think we've kind of covered, covered the base of it. I mean, I, I think what I'd really like just for us as an industry to think a little bit more about is um, user data who should really control that data? How do we empower our users to have control over their own data? Uh, I, I'd really like that to be uh, a topic of conversation that we we all think about more as as technologists. Um, so, you know, as people sort of navigate the matrix ecosystem, we would like them to have a lot more control over that experience, rather than yeah. it be us saying this is what it's going to be. Like, that, that's that's what it's going to be like. Um, so, I think just thinking about an individual's relationship with their data. I'd, I'd love that to be something that was 
everyone was just talking about the whole time. I'd love people to be talking more about interoperability a lot more. Yeah. Um, and, and go back to this thing right at the beginning of, oh, I'm on WhatsApp, but maybe now they're advertising to me. What do I do about that? If you have interoperability, then I have a choice. As a user, I can, I can vote with my feet okay. in a way that I probably can't today. And so these are the sort of industry trends I'd love to see um, um, elevated, not just in the sort of instant messaging world, but kind of everywhere. Um, but that's definitely something that we're, that we're doing at, at Element and at Matrix. And if these topics are interesting to you and you're passionate about them, get in touch with me and we can talk about it because uh, I'd, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Social dilemma is a big one um, right, right. recently. And I, I couldn't agree more with your statement. Um, just being able to have choices with um, some of our data, our messaging platforms uh, i think choices is the big thing and you're spot on uh, i think if they're conversations that we can try and drive i'd love that i would love to be involved somehow if there's anyone that can direct me to places that can have conversations around that i would i'll get involved i'll add my two cents um but but i think um, the privacy around it is key and social dilemma is just, it has opened my eyes up massively to um, what's going on, I think. Actually, uh, Amandine, um, our co-founder, she she uh, participated in a panel uh, basically talking talking about social dilemma. Okay. And um, it was um, the, the, the panelists on that group are, in, in my opinion, just really know their stuff on this subject. I'm, okay. Amandine as, as well. Um, and anyone that's kind of interested in that more from a um, the sort of technical side of, um, of of this, that is the group of people I'd love I'd love to uh, uh, to elevate. Okay, great. Uh, are there links to that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I will. I can I can share that with you. We'll put those in the below as well. All right, uh, Neil, you've been an absolute pleasure. You've hey, been an been, absolute it's been wonderful pleasure. to be here. Thank you. Um, to all the Rustations, to all of your community that help and support you, come and listen. Thanks for listening. Um, as you can see, the guys at Element massively appreciate you. To our little community as well that's growing, uh, we, of course, really appreciate you. This is why we do it. Um, so like, share, follow us, tell your friends, tell your family, but come and share your stories. I think most importantly, uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to share with one another. Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure, like I said. Thank you. And for everyone else that's listened, all the relevant links that we've discussed will be below. Thanks a lot. Cheers then. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.